Sin acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land on which the House of Sin and Studios stand, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. This is the OST podcast, original soundtrack on Sin Nation. Catch us live from 7pm every Tuesday on Sin Nation. Hello, everybody, lovely listeners. Welcome to OST here on Sin Nation. We've got you for the next hour. We'll be talking all things movie soundtracks, but on today's episode, we're going to be delving into movies that, in one way or another, come back to music, whether they are movies about musicians, uh, musicals. These movies' soundtracks are immersive and they're iconic. Ranging from raps to show tunes, we're going to be discussing movies about musicians, musicals, and artist biopics tonight, um, which is a big <laughs> kind of soft spot for me. Um, as you probably heard in the opening stinger, I'm a bit of a musical fan. I made that myself. Aaron was a bit confused about everything that was going down in that stinger, but... I think I recognised maybe one or two <laughs> of those sound bites, Paul. Um, no, but I do I do love musicals. I do love music a lot, so this is going to be great fun for, for me and Aaron too, hopefully. Um, yeah, so I'm Aaron. I'm not Aaron. I'm Paul. I mean, I'm we Aaron. are the same person. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, I'm Paul. I'm with Aaron, and welcome to OST. So glad to have you with us for the next hour. The first film we're going to be talking about today is a slice of music comedy from 2003, starring the timelessly gigantic name Jack Black, uh, then just known, I guess, for his work in High Fidelity, The Cable Guy, and Tenacious D. It wasn't really much of a name then. Um, Of course, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's School of Rock. So that was released in 2003. It stars... This is just a massive lineup of, of actors. It features Jack Black, Miranda Cosgrove, Joan Cusack, Adam Pascal, and Sarah Silverman. It features music from about every single dad rock band in existence. We've got The Clash, Led Zeppelin, Kiss, Cream, ACDC, The Doors, The Who, The Ramones, The Darkness, The Black Keys, Stevie Nicks, David Bowie, and of course, The Velvet Underground. And the plot goes like this. Uh, Fanatic rock fan and musician Dewey fakes being his roommate to become a substitute teacher at a preppy high school and teaches his class the value of music. Is that his character's name? Dewey? Dewey. Yeah, Dewey. That's awful. He plays um, Mr. Schneebly. This is his roommate's real last name, Schneebly. We just call him Mr. S throughout the whole movie. <laughs> is there something so, like, timeless about Jack Black comedy? <laughs> well, it, it's so weird because um, watching this movie in particular, it's pretty easy to see the uh, why Jack Black had this kind of upwards trajectory in the 2000s. Um, I, th- I think he kind of became a sort of cultural su- touchstone in himself. I think besides Robin Williams, uh, rest his soul, it's hard to find an actor even in 2018 that oozes charisma just by existing and being himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jack Black doesn't really... I feel like he doesn't have an archetype or a typecast. Um, unless he's in a music movie, then he's going to be like, Hello, it's me, I'm Jack but, Black. No, he's like that in every movie, though. I, I guess. highly dispute that statement. Um, <laughs> I just want to throw out as well that I'm not actually that deeply enthu- unenthused by this topic. I'm just a little bit sick today, so oh, I but- am going to be a little bit quiet, but it's not because I hate musicals and I hate <laughs> Paul. It's just because I'm a little bit flat. Well, I think it might be a bit of the latter. It's but- probably, I mean, covering my tracks. But, like, um, yeah, I, I definitely know. dispute that. I think he's flexible because he can do big over-the-top blockbusters, but he's also in lots of small indie projects. I think he's a bit... He's a bit malleable in that but way. But he's like, the same person in, in both. Like, what indie project is Jack Black not... Be, be Kind, Rewind. Mm. 
And I feel like maybe it's because that was an indie picture and they're like, Jack, in this movie, you can't go, so they were like, um, we have to, you have to kind of shift back a bit. Um, but I think School of Rock was really our first look into the zany personality that was Jack Black. Um, and after this, he just like was in everything. He was in Anchorman and then Shark Tale and then King Kong and then Nacho Libre, Aaron's favorite movie, Tenacious D, The Pick of Destiny, which is a personal favorite of mine. Um, 2008 was his blow-up year. He had Be Kind Rewind, Kung Fu Panda, and Tropic Thunder all in the one year. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so he really had like a lot of you know like trajectory behind him. And um, I think Jack Black definitely makes this movie what it is, with lots of help from a really supportive supporting cast as well. I think if it was anyone but Jack Black playing Mr. Schneebly, it probably wouldn't be the movie it is. Um, Jack Black is literally... <laughs> I guess no. I guess I was wrong before. Um, he is literally this character. If you've ever seen a clip of him on a talk show, there's um, a clip I really love of him when he was on the Graham Norton couch with Elton John, and um, where all the juicy stuff happens. <laughs> but um, like Jack Black was saying, "Oh, dude, like I know one of your songs, but I only know it by the tune." And he like sings. He butchers. Elton John's song in front of him, like, to his face. And Elton John's like, yeah, no, I know that song. Yeah, I, I jam with that song. Um, so he's definitely Mr. Schneebly in real life, which is really nice to know. And that says more about Elton John. Respect. Exactly. Yeah, true. He, he, he's a mad player. Um, the movie's been so popular that it really became a stage musical that had a run in Melbourne. Um, I feel like this is kind of a theme with popular movies of the 2090s. Like, there was a Legally Blonde musical. A Clueless musical is going to start on Broadway in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm not sure if being made into a musical means it's cult or in need of a popularity boost. I'm not really sure of what, mm, good point. what it means. I'm not sure if it means like, oh, this product needs life in it or this product has had so much life for so long, we need to make a musical out of it. Mm. Um, but with a soundtrack, um, just like Jack Black himself, the soundtrack oozes classic rock and dad rock. Um, I think this movie was a first chance for a lot of us, especially me, to really get into that classic rock sound. If your dad didn't already blast all of this stuff in the car anyway, you had that second chance well, with this movie. Well, the chance is if you were watching musicals, you probably weren't really as exposed to dad rock. No, but this movie was probably that extra boost of rock that I, I did get. Um, and it's kind of interesting in that way how Jack's Black, Jack Black's character kind of acts as that gateway to rock that's kind of how it worked for us as kids, I feel, watching this movie. Like, you, you kind of get that gateway, um, especially in that scene where Jack Black has the, the like, tower of CDs and he's just like, here's your homework. You have to listen to Led Zeppelin and all these bands. I guess I'm being awfully contrarian tonight, Paul, but, okay. like, um, I don't... Personally, like, this film was in no way formative to my music taste <laughs> or my enough. early experience of music in my um, childhood. Like, I think it was more of a parody on like that idea of dad rock in, in yeah well in in a, yeah well that's probably a good point mainly because it's almost like that's what jack black became with tenacious d like after this yes. movie was made that's he became that thinking. character of schneebly with mm. his ridiculous <laughs> dad rock band that he has yeah so it's probably tongue-in-cheek in that way i feel like tenacious d themselves are like a really self-aware oh definitely group, so yeah. i don't think that they're Absolutely. like oh yeah we, we genuinely like aspire to be the next Led Zeppelin or or Cream, <laughs> like, you know, they're just like, hey, people think this is funny. Yeah, that's Let's literally it. it. Um, but it's so interesting how they're, you know, they're making a comeback now as well. Like, they've been, they've had a new TV show that's on air and it's like, 
tenacious D and making a comeback. That's amazing. I love it. It is twenty eighteen, like some weird stuff's happening. <laughs> so I wouldn't put it past them. In in this movie, there are a lot of sort of those iconic scenes that happen um, with the original music they have in this movie as well. There's a bit of original music. There's the scene where they kind of write the song "Step Off." Pretty much every if you say "Step Off" to someone that was <laughs> born in the 1990s, they will know exactly what you mean. Um, there's that point in the car where they're 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 driving somewhere in the tour van, and Jack Black starts singing immigrant song to the children, and he's amazing, and he he has that amazing charisma to him. And there's also that bit where. Um, Jack Black, um, Jack Black's character. They watch the kids in band practice, and his eyebrows do the most like amazing dance you've ever seen. Like if you, there's a clip on YouTube of it, just go look at it. His eyebrows go like all over the place. Is it like that? Um, was it a Cadbury ad <laughs> yes. where they did the eyebrow thing? It's yeah, literally exactly like okay. that. It's fantastic. Um, so this movie has lots of really great musical moments. The favorite of mine personally is when. They play Immigrant Song in the car. So we're going to play Immigrant Song for you on OST. Um, If you're a big fan of this, let us know. Um, If you're listening on podcast, um, we will also be releasing a Spotify playlist for this. Well, also, if you're listening live, we'll also have Spotify playlists of every episode we have. Can I just add as well, um, I've actually just looked it up for the first time here and the, the album cover of, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> of the soundtrack we'll, is iconic. So. We'll, we'll post that on our social media if you want to follow us. Yeah on Facebook, which is at OST Sin. But for now, here's Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. You're listening to OST on Sin Nation. Hey, Aaron, does it sound uh, kind of quiet to you here? Now that you mention it, yeah, it's a little bit. That's due to media law and some copyright laws, so we couldn't contain music in our podcasts. If you want to hear some of the tunes that we've been playing on our show, you can head to our Spotify playlists. You can find them on our Facebook page at OST Sin. Cool. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, let's do it again from You're Not Hardcore. One, two, three. Well, you're not hardcore. That was Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin from the School of Rock soundtrack. You're on you're on OST, original soundtrack on Sin Nation with Paul and Aaron. We, as I said, just talked about School of Rock. We're going to be moving on to uh, a movie that actually recently just came out. Um, it's been out for a couple of weeks here in Australia anyway, and it's A Star is Born. Um, so as I said, that came out this year. It stars Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, Dave Chappelle, Sam Elliott, Alec Baldwin, and Marlon Williams. It features original music by Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga themselves. And the plot goes like this. By coincidence, blues singer Jackson Maine and undiscovered singer Ali meet, begin a relationship, and teach each other a thing or two about music. Mm. <laughs> Iconic. Why we chose this film is because, um, well, I guess one thing, it, it's, you know, it's come out quite recently. It's has an importance in a way because it is quite important to say when discussing this movie that it's the fifth time this movie has been made. Um, So originally it was in 1937 and then again in 1954 and then again in 1976 with Barbra Streisand and then once more in Bollywood in 2013 and one last time, of course, this year. Um, I didn't know there was a Bollywood version. Neither did I, but doing some research, I... I, uh, Is it still called A Star Is Born? I think so, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so that's an interesting watch. If you're doing a, a Star is Born marathon, make sure you include that because all kind of cinemas are valid. Um, the great thing about all these remakes is that each time the story and the music has been recontextualized, which mm-hmm. I like. Um, 
I think if it was the exact same story every time, that would get boring <laughs> if you <laughs> heard it again five times. But Likely. each time it's very different. Um, and it's recontextualized in a really interesting way. Um, and it's not just in the music or in the filmmaking. So without <laughs> getting into it too much, because it's a lot to talk about, because there's five of them, <laughs> um, the original 1937 version responded to the Hollywood system. So instead of, her name isn't Ali, it's Esther. Um, which is very telling about the time. Mm. Uh, she is a kind of nobody actress that ends up in a Hollywood movie, and then her husband is also an actor, and then the same thing happens. In the 1954 version, um, it was more of a response to the optimistic and melodramatic movie musicals, like Singing in the Rain, which we're about to get to. Um, the 1976 version was more of a response to the drug-addicted celebrities of rock music, so it was mm. a bit more... A lot of the music was rockier, um, than it is in the 1954 version. And now in 2018, it's more of a response to pop music. Um, and even, I think, kind of a shift that people are having away from rock music. Like, rock music isn't really the most palatable and successful genre at the moment. Well, I guess it's country, isn't it, in this version? It's yeah, it's like, a bit, it's, it's a bit it's more country, country music. music. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the foundation of a lot of the tension between Bradley Cooper's character and Lady Gaga's character, who play the main um, relationship, where, yeah, like, Ali is selling out, becoming a pop star. And yeah. Bradley Cooper's character, who is a country singer at heart and believes in songwriting and the meaning behind lyrics, um, is, yeah, upset about that, I think. Yeah, well, he's such a tragic character in every way. There's lots of subtle hints, the fact that, you know, he, he has this really dark past. I, I like there's a bit in the movie where someone kind of mentions that he was touring in 2004. It's kind of like he's been doing this for 14 years plus, like 20 years, and he... He did it for 20 years and found mild success. Lady Gaga literally did it for a month and then she blew up like yeah. potato cakes, you know. Um, it's I, I really think the whole story of this is so interesting, especially in the way it was remade for this year. If this was... Because I feel like so many people are like, oh, remakes are so boring, they're so unnecessary. I think mm. this movie is like the only movie that could have been remade this year and it would have been perfect. In yeah, it makes sense. sense in the context of this year. And I mean, um, I think that story at the foundation of Gaga's character and then like likewise her performance um, just makes sense in this like current climate. And I mean, as you said, yeah. like all those other things about, um, you know, the original remakes and things, I mean, the, things like that need to be remade. Although yeah. this, the story at itself, like at its root is just about that rags to riches kind of yeah. um getting lucky and, and getting you big break which is you know timeless but there are ways to adapt it yeah and it, it's been adapted perfectly every time you know this movie's also it's kind of weird there's the curse of the a star is born story where every star is born has had a rough production cycle like um all of them have just been terrible like with the barbara streisand version she kind of put on a producer's hat and was like, this is my movie. Mm. And then the producers were like, no, well, Barbara, it's not. <laughs> this is our movie. And then she's like, no, 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 no. Um, you know, this is all about me. So it's interesting how each time the different actors also have that different kind of chemistry together. When this remake was originally penned, Ali was going to be played by Beyonce. Mm. That was the original plan. That's completely changed. I'm glad it was Gaga. Not to yeah. say that Beyonce, you know, wouldn't have maybe done a good job. She was we'll great never know. in um, Austin Powers' Gold Member. That was oh. like her... Her main acting role. Fire out. Um, but yeah, Gaga's terrific in this. Everyone's fantastic. Yeah. Um, what I like so much about the soundtrack, um, the way the soundtrack appears in the movie, it's hard to call this movie a musical. 
Well, that's the thing. I mean, School of Rock's hardly a musical too, mm. but at the moment we're kind of looking at just that kind of that story of the musician in film, which yeah. is so. I mean, it's built around a soundtrack as well. You really yeah. have a, a movie about a It'd musician. Be weird. It'd be weird without it? a, a good soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, at times, to me, it really felt like a live gig movie. It's just, it's so weird yeah. in some ways. Um, that's true, I guess, as most of the opening gig scenes are actually filmed at Coachella Music Festival. I don't know how they did it. Apparently, they just like took over a stage and then filmed on it. Um, because it's like well, it's Bradley Cooper <laughs> Bradley and Lady Gaga. Cooper and Lady Gaga. That's exactly <laughs> how they did it. Um, but yeah, I, I like that idea of it being like a. Yeah, like like a gig movie because, I mean, that's always going to have a place, I think, and especially now we kind of like that live action kind of feel. And, I mean, it was so immersive as yeah. well. Like yeah. if we think about like last week how we were talking about Project X as being just a really long music video, mm. um, I think you could even say the same about this, but obviously there was a lot more depth. Yeah, if it. It, if it was called Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga at Coachella Music Festival, mm. like, you know, Arctic Monkeys at the Apollo, I'd be like, okay, yeah, it's a live music, you know, <laughs> live music performance movie. Um, all of the songs also appear incidentally, um, but are for the most part a performance of some kind. So mm. that's a theme that's run through the entire, uh, I guess you can call it a franchise of A Star Is Born. Um, every song is always a part of the story. It's never like... Hey Bradley Cooper, let me tell you how I feel. Like then, like a, that stereotypical musical trope. Hey, yeah. well, like why are they singing? And then the music swells up and they go, "Let me tell you why. Yeah, this okay. is what I'm feeling through song." Um, they do that in the movie. Like they definitely, you know, emote through their music, but mm. it's never in that really contrived way, um, mm. like it is in other movies we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, the soundtrack was actually written by Gaga and Cooper on set and during the whole production, which again is like, how do they do that? They're so um, talented. Um, which I found was an interesting choice. It actually, because in the movie they're writing all these songs in progression, so for the actors to actually be doing that. Yeah, and was I right saying that the vocals were recorded live? Did you read up on that anyway? Yeah, Yeah, they they, they definitely recorded live. Um, So even in the soundtrack, um, they they appear as they appear in the movie. There's nothing different, Crazy, um, which is really awesome. Um, And that too has something got to do with the production of the album because the songs are produced as well. it's like an all-star soundtrack, so uh, including production credits from Mark Ronson, who had helped Lady Gaga with Joanne, so she he was the producer on that album. Uh, DJ White Shadow, who produced Gaga's albums Born This Way and Art Pop, yeah. produced songs like Why'd You Do That? Um, he also produced Sexy Body and Dedicated by Pitbull. Um, so all of the kind of rock elements in the blues and country, that was taken over by Willie Nelson's son, Lucas Nelson, who also plays in the live band you see in the movie and all the poppy stuff was well you know look after by the pop production artists which is so amazing so in turn every song in the movie is played live essentially as i said um in a similar way to another movie musical uh les miserables so everything is that you see mm. is actually what they're singing which is so cool um yeah it it it's it's just great i, I recommend it i um like I think when we so we went and saw this together um, yeah. recently, and um, when we came out of it, you were asking like, um, "Is this based?" I guess if we go back to the plot and even just the music, is is this based around Lady Gaga's career? Yeah, I was well, I I think so, and you said you think so. Yeah, but um, Lady Gaga's said in interviews like, "Ali's nothing like me. Like I don't relate." You know, specifically to Ali, which I find so weird. But it's interesting. I mean. Poker Face was originally an acoustic, like, guitar 
song. Yeah. So if you think about that evolution in her career and then, you know, Lady Gaga's had had some peaks and troughs in her pop career mm. and coming out now with Joanne more recently, like... That was such a power move. Totally transformed. Like, it's yeah. nothing like anyone I mean, has like, known go Gaga, Gaga across yeah. the board. I love all of the music, <laughs> but, like, yeah, totally. She is, she is so transformative in this movie. Yeah. I didn't... I can't recognise her. But yeah. that's... I mean, that's because... There's... She's an incredible actress. She's incredible. Amazing. She's amazing. And not to take away from Bradley as well. He was great. And the voice on, on that man, like, who knew? The singing voice. Yeah. Yeah, I... And, and the husky, Bradley Cooper, I'm <laughs> just a, a, a raggedy old country one, singer. One one thing I find interesting about this, I was, um, we're going to get to a few songs from um, A Star Is Born in a Sec, but one thing I found, I learned really recently about Tom Hanks was that he based his Forrest Gump voice off of the young actor who played the young self of him. But it sounds like Bradley Cooper in this movie is doing an impression of Sam Elliott because they're yeah. related. And if Bradley Cooper didn't sound anything like Sam Elliott, like the gambit would have been up, mm. um, which I find so interesting because Bradley Cooper doesn't really have that drawl, but Sam Elliott does. not it, it, it sounds like Bradley Cooper had some lessons with Sam Elliott to do that kind of mm. southern drawl. Mm. It was good, though. It worked. There were a lot, And there are also a lot of amazing moments in this movie. Like um, My personal favourite was at the start, though, when um, Lady Gaga's character does a cover of uh, Edith Piaf's song, um, La Vie en Rose. At a drag bar that she sings at, mm. that was terrific. And you know, every number in this is great. I think the one we're going to play today for you, um, always remember us this way, was played kind of in the middle section of the movie when um, Ali, Ali kind of joins up with Jackson's band and they're starting to play together and perform the songs they're playing together. It's just a, it's emotional throughout. But this moment in particular, I found um, quite emotional. Um, I recommend looking up the soundtrack as well in your spare time or getting down to see this. Or checking out our Spotify playlist oh, where we pick our favourites from the soundtrack. You can totally do that. Because we can't play every song on the soundtrack, we will also be including another favourite from the soundtrack in, in that playlist. So if you want to check that out, please do. You'll find it on our Facebook, on our Facebook page, OST Sin. But for now, this is Always Remember Us This Way by Lady Gaga from the A Star Is Born soundtrack. You're listening to OST on Sin Nation. Can I ask you a personal question? Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Well, because like almost every single person that I've come in contact with in the music industry has told me that my nose is too big and that I won't make it. Your nose is beautiful. Are you showing me your nose right now? Yeah. You don't have to show it to me. I've been looking at it all night. Oh, come on. Oh, I'm going to be thinking not. about your nose for a very you're long time. You're full of shit. I'm not full of shit. Yeah, I'm you telling are. you the truth. Yeah, you're full of Can shit. Can I touch your nose? Oh, my gosh. Let me just touch <laughs> it for a second. That was Lady Gaga with Always Remember Us This Way, taken from the A Star Is Born soundtrack in cinemas now. Uh, you're on OST what? Sin original soundtrack. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I'm just saying you have to go see A Star Is Born. <laughs> that blatant advertisement. That is a violation of our broadcasting license. I'm so sorry, but you, you should go see A Star Is Born right now because um, it's great. It's going to win all the Oscars, I assure you. Um, it got a standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival. It, it is a hit. It's a big hit. We're moving on from one hit to another. We're going to jump to a much older hit um, that came out a similar time to when the third version of A Star Is Born came out. We're going to talk about Grease, uh, the musical that everyone either extremely hates with a passion or they love to death. Who I hates think. Grease? Oh, someone. 
Like, someone surely you love it or you're indifferent. Like, I don't know anyone who hates Greece. I'm sure there's someone that was just like, you know, in like a clockwork orange where they keep his eyes open with the <laughs> mechanism. They were probably well, forced know, to watch I it as a kid. I know that when Greece is because my mum loves it. So yeah. whenever we watch Greece, it's like on, everyone's yeah. into it. And my dad will come in and just go. <gasps> <laughs> That's so accurate. Again? Aaron just did the best impression of his dad. It was of her dad. It was amazing. Um, so, yeah, Greece was released in 1978. It stars um, big star John Travolta. We've already talked about him on this show. He's he starred twice. Um, Olivia Newton-John, Stockard Channing, and Frankie Avalon. It features original music by, of course, Olivia Newton-John, John Travolta and co. Frankie Valli from Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. There's covers of Elvis, Frank Sinatra, and Little Anthony and the Imperials by, I guess, a then cover band, The Shananas, uh, which is an amazing name for a cover band. Uh, and the plot is Australian Sandy transfers to a school where she falls in and out of love with Greaser mechanic Frankie Zuko. I guess that's it. I forgot she was Australian. How did she you plays? That? A, she plays Australian in the movie. It's, it's quite interesting, I just, actually. I just forgot that. For <laughs> like that's like one of the key plot points. Anyway. Well, as we we're talking before, you know how on iTunes you have a feature where you can see how many times you've played a song, mm. uh, like on your device or something. Um, I think if you did that, but with my brain, I've heard the Grease soundtrack like a hundred <laughs> times, if not more, in my entire life. Um, this movie soundtrack is burnt into my brain, but I still love it. And I discover something new about it all the time because your childhood mind constructs like words and lyrics in your brain. You know, you, you, it's like that misheard lyrics thing, like old fallout boy songs. Like you construct random words out of nothing because your small childhood brain can't develop properly. That was me with Greece. I just made up lyrics on the spot. Um, but this is an absolute classic sick day movie for mm. me personally, I guess with maybe your family, it's a little different. No, um, no, no, no. I think it definitely was in the um, amongst the women. Yeah, fair enough. Amongst the women, yeah. <laughs> Which I guess is the theme for the next two OSTs we'll be talking about. These two musicals for me are kind of like when you're down, when you're sick, when you're snotty, you just need something to have with a soup, like to watch when you have a soup. <laughs> nothing like a good old greasy nothing soup. Nothing like a soup. <laughs> um, so I feel like if you just want to feel a little bit happier, you can chuck this movie or the soundtrack on. You'll feel happier in no time, I reckon. I also really love... Um, it's a little thing I haven't brought up on the show. I'm a big fan of like the 50s, 60s aesthetic. I hate the politics that was happening at the time. I'm not that kind of person like, take me back to the 60s. I want to be like... You want to be a flower child. I just want to be a flower child. No, that, you know, it's a terrible time for, for everyone. But I love just the aesthetic and how it can be brought out through film. So the set design and the general mise-en-scene of this movie is amazing to me. Um, and it's weird because people were already nostalgic for the 50s in the late 70s, which is, I guess, something we should talk about, the 20-year cycle or the 30-year yeah. cycle, yeah. Um, which what we're doing at the moment in 2018, everyone's nostalgic for the 80s because, mm. just because, you know, like Bruno Mars sounds like Michael Jackson and mm. Stranger Things is going back to the 80s. Um, that's kind of what's happening but I guess in the 70s, everyone was just having a real nostalgia trip for the 50s, um, which is why this movie was so popular. Um, I think the movie perfectly fit a longing for the past that I guess people just really needed in the 1970s, as I guess most adults by then had finished school in the 50s and 60s. It was like the perfect throwback. I guess, yeah, like the exam example of these days would be like Stranger Things, where, you know, people who finished school in the 80s or the 90s 
um, can watch Stranger Things now and look back and be like, oh, I remember being a kid. You know, it was did like you say that. Twin Peaks? I wasn't. I wasn't like no, not Twin. Into that, but, uh, but that's, that's another one. Like, yeah, Twin Peaks is is a good one too. I guess because most yeah. people watched and finished that show when they were in their teens, and yeah. then yeah. now as 30, 40 year olds, they're looking back at it. Um, it's it's totally what's happening all the time at the mm. moment. But this is, I guess, the little version that they had in the seventies. Um, even past its original commercial success, I think it has a huge cult following and a ton of internet fan theories about the movie's really weird ending and plot. <laughs> because no one... There's a second Grease, if you didn't know. Um, I've no. actually never seen it. I've actually never watched it, no, and I'm a, never going no, to. No, um, But this movie ends, if you haven't finished Grease before, um, the characters, their car starts flying, and they fly into the clouds and they disappear. Um, and that's just how the movie ends. I don't explain it. So there's lots of fan theories suggesting that um, Sandy died at the start of this movie. Oh, my God. And the entire movie's plot, you know, this kind of longing for a boy, um, the de- developmental kind of scenario she has is all based on her kind of dying and longing for <laughs> the thing she wished she had. Um, so that that's a fan theory that you should look it up. Um, that's Yeah, I don't know why I've never bothered to do that. Because it's, it's, I've always, like, when I watch it, I just go, why? Why? And then I just, I, I mean, I don't have that I think curiosity like, instinct. There's, like, one clue, and it's mm. in the Summer Nights lyrics, where Zuko says, um, I saved her life, she nearly drowned. And that's her brain being like, you didn't drown, everything's okay, you're going to be okay, and things like that. So mm. that if, you, if you're a fan of fan, fan theories, I'd say go look that up, because that's a pretty nasty one. The soundtrack is filled, as I said, like the aesthetic is very 50s, nostalgic for the 50s, all smushed into one lovely package. Um, the soundtrack is everything. There's doo-wop, there's crooners, there's love ballads, there's this anthemic confessions. It's filled with perfect sing-alongs. And I promise you, all of you listening definitely danced to the Grease Megamix at some kind of school dance you had. <laughs> I don't care if it was formal, <laughs> debutante, House party, whatever. You have danced to the Grease yeah. Megamix. Yeah, I yeah. promise you. I assure yeah. you, you have. That's true. <laughs> um, so many voices behind all of the songs are brilliant. John Travolta, who I guess he's kind of looked at as a slightly washed up person now. He's had kind of a bad rap Isn't in the past. Isn't he a pilot? Uh, he was. He's not he was a, He's a pilot for Qantas. Okay. Um, I guess he just can't fit that in in his schedule anymore. <laughs> um, you know, he's had a few mishaps at the Oscars where he... Um, He's dyslexic, so he, oh, he read someone's name wrong when they were introducing them yeah. at the Oscars, which is fine. But yeah, he, he hasn't been in much recently. But then I think he was a huge entity because he was in Saturday Night Fever, mm. Greece. You know, he had everything in that, in that time period. Um, but also, you know, Olivia Newton-John, who we're so proud of her, she's Australian, um, would go on to sing Let's Get Physical. But I think she really showed the world that she could do it in this movie, mm. especially in songs like Hopelessly Devoted to You and You're the One That I Want as well at the end. Of course, the underrated queen of this movie is Rizzo, who no one appreciates. Like, I saw a meme um, that was like, we all thought we were going to grow up to be Sandy, but actually... <laughs> we're all just Rizzo. And I think that's something that comes with age. The older you get and you watch Grease the again, more, you're like, yeah. oh, Rizzo's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's actually quite interesting because, yeah, when I was watching this movie, I was always just like, yeah, Sandy and Freddie, they're the, they're the main characters. I think Freddie? Is... Which one's Freddie? Freddie Zuko. John Travolta. His name's not Frankie? Freddie. Yeah. 
No. Frankie Zuko. Or is it Freddy Zuko? It's not Freddy. It's definitely not Freddy. Oh, I don't even something. know if it's Frankie. Oh, gosh. Danny. Danny Zuko. Jesus. <laughs> Whoops, I've been calling him Freddy this whole time. Have it's you? embarrassing. Oh, I just obviously haven't been listening. <laughs> Whoops. Um, Great radio, guys. <laughs> but yeah, there's so many supporting characters in, in Greece that kind of go to the sidelines. Um, but Rizzo, Rizzo's our favourite, so that means we're going to be playing the song that's her main feature, her belter, that is... There are worse things I can do, which is performed by Stockard Channing, who obviously plays Rizzo in the movie. So this is There Are Worse Things I Can Do. Before we go to the song, I just want to say I'm in the midst of creating a thing for social media, a social media thing. So head over to our Facebook and please interact with it. We are going to pose the question to tie in all of our OST stuff together. Danny Zuko... Or what's his... Vincent. Vincent. Does he have a last are we, name? Are we happy, Vincent? No, it's just Vincent. It's just Vincent? Really? Yeah. He doesn't have a last name? No, I think so. Surely. Okay. Well, Danny Zuko versus Vincent. We want to know <laughs> who is the best version of John Travolta. Leave a comment on our Facebook page and we'll see you on the other side of this. Yeah, you have a couple of minutes to decide. Um, so if you head to OST Sin, you can take part in that poll. This is There Are Worse Things I Can Do from the Grease soundtrack, sung by Stocker Channing. You're on OST Sin Nation. Hey, Erin. Yes, Paul. What does OST stand for? I'm really glad you asked. It stands for Original Soundtrack. Oh, cool. Is there like a podcast for this or something? Or There is. You're listening to it right now. I'm what? Well, you guys can't follow either all your lives, can you? Oh, come on, guys. You know you mean a lot to me. It's just that Sandy does too, and I'm going to do anything I can to get her. That's That was from the underrated hero of Greece. That was There Are Worse Things I Can Do from the Greece soundtrack, sung by Stockard Channing. You are on OST, original soundtrack on Sin Nation with Erin and Paul. I mean, she gets it, just quickly, sorry, she does get a key feature in the opening credits sequence in the cartoon caricature. As we mentioned, was it last week that every film that opens with a cartoon animated sequence is the best Oh my God, I didn't even think about that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, true. Yeah. Just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> just fun fact. So we're in the camp um, of classic musicals at the moment. We just talked about Grease. I think we're going to move over to a movie that is a personal favourite of mine. Erin, I don't think you've, you've seen no. Singing in the Rain. No. no. We're talking about Singing in the Rain. Um, so this is going to be my gush of this movie. For I know the... the, I know the... <laughs> The scene from the, from, the, from the singing song in the rain. itself, yeah. I'm singing in the rain, yeah. but that's all I've, I think I've been um, exposed to. So yeah, this is a classic movie. It came out in 1952. It stars Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, and Debbie Reynolds. It features original music by that cast, so Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, and Debbie Reynolds. The plot is interesting. I didn't know, because as you said, like you know the singing in the rain scene. Everyone thinks it's a movie about a guy who goes out into the rain or something. I always thought it was a, like apocalyptic movie about what? a place where it constantly rains. That's just what I had in my head. But the plot goes that it's about an industry where silent films are becoming old and boring. Um, silent movie actors must learn how to speak on film, which really happened in real life. Um, so having to adapt a silent movie suddenly into a colour spoken picture, Don Lockwood, who's played by Gene Kelly, must adapt The Drooling Cavalier into a musical very meta so 
the movie's Jesus. actually about making a musical, which for 1952 is just, I think, is extremely interesting and, and meta. Um, I think of all the movies we've discussed on this show already, Singing in the Rain is in my top ten, probably, of all time, mm. if that list existed. Um, They're all, I might add as well. Yeah, sure. An overwhelming majority of that top ten of yours feature like frequent musical outbursts as well. Yeah, yeah, Whiplash, Aladdin as well. Is but that's in what there. I mean, yeah, it just says yeah, a lot it's about a, it's your a, taste a and what you've been like. brought up with. Um, it, it just makes me feel warm and, warm and fuzzy and nothing really goes badly in this movie. There's no doom and gloom, nothing bad happens. It just, despite its name, despite the film's name, it's all sunshine and rainbows and optimistic and just makes you feel special, which is nice. As I said with Grease, it's totally just one of those sick day movies where, you know, you need a little lift of the spirits or something, you chuck this on, suddenly you feel better. In terms of the lineage of movie musicals, I think this movie came at a time where the optimistic and positive stories of musicals were really, really popular for good reason, because it was kind of post-war America. World mm-hmm. War Two was finished. It'd been done for a couple of years. Um, and a lot of people had a sense of purpose and optimism again, which I guess was kind of gone during the war. You know, lots of people didn't return. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know... You know, especially America was, you know, targeted by all these powers and there was just all kind of doom and gloom. And then after the fact, there was the baby boom, of course. Everyone just suddenly had this... Just having babies. Just having babies. They had this, like, pang of optimism. Everyone was just like, we have to, you know, be positive. The future, mm. industry boomed. Everything was just kind of going okay. And then, uh, like, 10 years later, Vietnam happened, but that's okay. Um, a lot of people, I think, found having a sense of purpose and optimism in movies really important and it was reflected in lots of the movies that came out in the 50s. It's a it's a similar kind of cycle, right? Like, I mean, we look back nostalgically, but unfortunately just in the course of human history, especially throughout the 20th century, it's just every couple of years something terrible is going to happen. Mm. And then... You have this, it's like, I think musicals are a reflection of that the triumph of the human spirit. Absolutely, yeah. Because, I mean, if you look at the history of music in theatre and in live performance and in entertainment, like, you know, that's music is one of the most fundamental things that brings communities together. Mm. So it only makes sense that in times of hardship, coming out the other side, you would have these optimistic totally. expressions of, of yeah. yeah theatre in, in film and on the screen. And yeah. it's no coincidence that a lot of the mov- movie musicals that came out in the 1950s were about the military. There was a um, movie that's a personal favourite of my, of my parents, South Pacific, that's all about um, the military that, you know, when they're invading Japan, they had all these people that were just kind of stuck in the Pacific, kind of not doing anything. Um, and then even, you know for that movie to come out not too long after World War II happened and to look back on it nostalgically, it's just so interesting. Um, I, f- I think this film is also... It's really beautiful and gorgeous, which is mainly because of... Like, aesthetically. Aesthetically beautiful, yeah. But it's because of the introduction of the home television, which is actually so interesting. Because mm. um, musicals needed to be flashy and colourful and big to draw people... <laughs> In because of uh, at this time, less and less people were leaving their homes to go to the movies. It sounds really ridiculous in the 50s, but even way before Netflix was a thing, people were stuck in their homes, you know, watching the squared 
you know, screen in their own houses. So no one wanted to go to the movies anymore because they're like, the movies are in our living room. Why do we want to go to the cinemas? Mm. Um, So directors and producers of these musicals really needed to screen movies that were big and bombastic. They needed people to get out of their seats, to get into seats in the cinemas, which is really interesting because this movie really fits that kind of bill of being this huge, overdramatic um, movie that just kind of pulls you in. Mm. Um, I think it hasn't pulled me in. Like. No, well, it will. It might if we, you watch okay, it. Let's set some time aside. Let's. Uh, let me, yes. How about you and I, I watch think it? If you know, listeners haven't listened uh, watched this movie yet. Just give it a shot. Yeah. Um, because it, I think it's one of those movies that you've heard of, and you're like, I've heard of it. Yeah. I, I yeah, don't need absolutely. to watch it. It's, yeah. You know, I've heard about it. Um, yeah. So I think once you watch it, you, you do understand a bit. Um, I think it's such a memorable soundtrack as well. Like you don't forget. Singing in the Rain. Mm. Um, the people that haven't seen the movie definitely know the numbers like Singing in the Rain um, and Good Morning. Um, I think people kind of like subconsciously know Good Morning because it's used in Shrek um, when Donkey comes into Shrek's house and he says, Good hey, morning. Yeah. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning to you. Like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of the numbers were penned and written by Hollywood producer... Arthur Freed, whose first movie credit was actually an uncredited role as the associate producer for The Wizard of Oz. So he knows his stuff. He was His very first producing credit was The Wizard of Oz, which, you know, he obviously knows his musicals. He also produced uh, Brigadoon, which is a, a big musical that's still going. And with a partnership with Nachio Herb Brown, he wrote most of the classic musicals of the 40s and 50s. Most of the songs also come with intense and over-the-top chore- chore- choreography, with most songs breaking into insane tap dancing numbers. So that's just a very 50s thing. Yeah. Lots of people really like seeing tap dancing in the 50s. It's something that's kind of... <laughs> you look back now and you're like, that's ridiculous. But they're quite talented tap dancers when you look back on it. I love a good tap dancing Billy Elliot, though. I think that's, that's timeless. <laughs> um, so I think we're going to jump into Good Morning Now, which you will recognise from Shrek, if <laughs> you remember that movie. That's just so, like... I'd, no comment. Like, no comment. That's just something that's like stamped that on everything. You'll know this from Shrek. Uh, so this is Good Morning from Singing in the Rain, performed by Debbie Reynolds, Donald O'Connor and Gene Kelly. You are on OST on Sin Nation. Hey. Hey, I think it'll work. Of course. It's a cinch. You know, it may be crazy, but we're going to do it. The Dooming Cavalier is now a musical. Hot dog. Hallelujah. I feel this is my lucky day, March 23rd. Oh, no, your lucky day is the 24th. What do you mean the 24th? It's 1.30 already. It's morning. Yes, and what a lovely morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, the sun is shining through. Good morning. Good morning to you. And you. And you. That was Good Morning from Singing in the Rain. You are on OST, original soundtrack on Sin Nation with Paul and Aaron. We're jumping from the musicals era over to a bit more of the modern era where biopics all the rage. We've got Bohemian Rhapsody coming out in a couple of weeks. Everyone loves a music biopic. So we're going to start with, I think, one of the most notorious musician biopics. Notorious. um, Which came out in 2009. It stars Jamal Woolard, Angela Bassett, Mark John Jeffries, David... uh, Costa Bile and Anthony Mackie as Tupac. So that's a that's a theme for the next two uh, movies we're going to be talking about. Anthony Mackie is the connecting link between the two. It features music, of course, by Notorious B.I.G., but they're performed by Jamal Woolard, which is a thing I think is really interesting. I'm going to talk about in a sec. 
the plot is, you know, it's really simple. It's just the life and times of Notorious B.I.G., also known as Christopher Wallace. So I saw this movie back when it came out, which was, I guess, quite a while ago. I think the movie should be considered a little, considered a little bit more cult, just ba- based on the amazing way Biggie was performed in this movie. So Jamal Woolard put a lot of time and thought into, into his performance and does a performance that really honours Biggie's rapping ability and personality. I think Biggie passed away quite recently before the movie was made, so it was in that way kind of like a honour to him, which is really great. Um, he was even so good at playing Biggie that he got to play him again in the Tupac Shakur biopic, All Eyes on Me, last year, which is really great. Biopics are always so interesting to me, especially when the actors pull all of their effort into appearing and even sounding exactly like the person they are impersonating. I just want to jump in and correct you there. So Biggie um, died in 1997. Oh, okay. And I'm pretty sure he was shot. Dead. Right. But that's okay. That's yeah. fine. It's actually so the um, the Netflix series that just came out. What's it called? Was it is it like un, unresolved or something? Like, oh, let me have a look. But it is a kind of fictional account of an unsolved mystery, which is the death of oh right Biggie Smalls and, and Tupac okay. Shakur and the um gang kind well, of yeah, tensions well, between th- them. Thanks for correcting me. I had to double check first, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But, okay. but I mean, I think that's an like fascinating Netflix series in okay. itself, where it kind of really takes liberty with the careers of, of these two yeah. people, but it's still kind of... I only watched the first episode, so it could okay. definitely get into more detail about their music, but it yeah. is really just a, oh, gang violence. Like, let's mm. let's have have a play with this. Yeah. So, yeah, I would have liked to see something a bit more. And hopefully there is something a bit more if I keep watching. Yeah, totally. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It's totally just a massive thing, and, and especially there's this fascination at the moment of West Coast versus East Coast. Oh, um, totally. And if you think about Straight Outta Compton and how yeah. big that was, well, that soundtrack. Yeah, that was even well. great because if you didn't know about Straight Outta Compton, Ice Cube is just played by Sun. Mm. That's what I find so great. You know, it for Notorious that to find someone that looks like Biggie, raps like Biggie, talks like Biggie, and does everything like Notorious B.I.G. But for Straight Outta Compton, they just were like, hey, Ice Cube, can your son be in the movie? And he was like, sure, because they're like the same person. They came from the same blood. So that's really interesting when they do that with family and they bring family into it. Because mm-hmm. be- a relative of Biggie plays young Billy, young Biggie in this movie, which is also interesting. They you know, bring family into that, which is an awesome part about rap movies. It's always kind of like a family thing. It's always you know, an integrated kind of part of all of it. But excluding all of the studio recordings of Biggie, that are provided in the soundtrack. All of the rapping that's done in this movie is actually done by Jamal Woolard, and I think that's really amazing. Um, he gets, like, the facial structure right. He raps exactly like Biggie, and it's so amazing. Um, it takes a lot of effort to just act and to look like someone, but rapping must have just been a whole different ball game. Like, to rap like someone, that must be so hard. Yeah, like, it's... It's not just yeah. It's not just singing as well. Like, and I mean, you can replicate someone's singing voice, but you, their flow and their intonation yeah. and their if, everything about their voice. Yeah, if you yeah. put them side by side, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Um, I think, I guess, while we're on the topic of rap, um, we are running out of time here, so it's good to talk about. While we're talking about both, we'd love to play you some Notorious B.I.G., but it's just because we're running out of time here. Um, we'll just jump straight into our other movie, which <laughs> Eight Mile. Uh, kind of like, and then I think these comparing these two movies is quite interesting, is because is eight, eight Mile is definitely Eminem's real story. Well, it's like a fictional biopic. Yeah, that's really. what I don't like about Eight Mile. <laughs> yeah, it's that 
if you know Eminem was so, we're just gonna say I I don't really affiliate with anything you don't Eminem. Dig, you don't dig. I don't Marshall dig Mathers. him right now. Um, yeah, I liked him when I was a little kid, and I was influenced by <laughs> rapping, and I was like, oh, rap music is cool. I'll listen to Eminem. And like he's like one of the very few white rappers, especially well, probably one of the most influential white yeah. male rappers. So you are probably like yeah, more closely related to him when yeah. you're young, which is yeah. fair, totally fair. Um, um, agreeable. Yeah, I did like this movie when it came out, and I can see value in the movie too, um, which I guess is why we're talking about it. Uh, it came out in 2002, a time where all of us were quite young and <laughs> influential. Uh, it stars Eminem, Marshall Mathers, uh, Kim Basinger, Brittany Murphy, Proof, uh, Taryn Manning, Michael Shannon, Anthony Mackie again, an exhibit as well. Um, it features music by Eminem, also Notorious B.I.G., Leonard Skinner, Cypress Hill, Outcast, Naughty by Nature, Wu-Tang Clan and Tupac. Um, it's just the Tony Hawk soundtrack. Literally, yes. We're going to be getting to that in a couple of weeks, but it is just the Tony Hawk soundtrack. The plot is uh, Jimmy B. Rabbit Smith wants to be a rapper and can really come up with sick rhymes randomly on the spot. It's, and okay. it's not scripted at all. It's very much, uh, again, just this rags to riches yeah. story. Eminem growing up in, you know, on the other side of Eight Mile in Detroit coming from a really low socioeconomic background, um, having to prove himself in his crowd that he wants to run with. Um, watched it really recently again with mm. the retrospect of, you know, my age mm-hmm. and education and coming back to it and going, this is just an, a, like, a, I don't know, a protest against reverse racism. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't <laughs> like that. I think it's what the internet users call a circle jerk, where it's kind of Eminem being like, Aren't I cool? Look at all the cool things I can do. I can rap on the spot. I did a I did a freestyle rap all by myself, and it was great. I feel like that's kind of like what this movie is. But in his a little character B Rabbit is a very like humble character. Yeah, but Eminem well. isn't, but which Eminem's is so weird. Not. So why is he playing this character that's so modest and humble and kind and has all these great qualities to him? And the real guy is such a dick. Um, he didn't even he didn't even turn up to when he won the Oscar for this. He didn't go. Didn't he? No. He won the Oscar for like best original music and he was mm. at home. Mm. And then they're like, Eminem, where are you? And then they're just like, oh, he's, he's at home. Wow. He didn't make it to the ceremony. Um, anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, he's still a huge part of the rap landscape and the cultural oh, landscape. Oh, absolutely. There's so many, I think there's so many um, important white rappers that, uh, especially one we've lost recently, Mac Miller, um, that would have, you know idolized Eminem as a younger younger rapper but mm. um I think he he started a trend that has become better and he himself has kind of made worse <laughs> by being in the in the industry I think that no I think that the thing about I mean obviously we're outsiders to this situation we can't comment but through like reading and things um he has a lot of respect within the rap community and it's because he has kind of paid his dues. And I think that's mm. what 8 Mile was trying to articulate, that, sure. hey, like, I deserve my spot here. Yeah. Um, I've worked, I've paid, yeah, I have respect for the people yeah. I'm, I'm with. Um, they've given me the blessing to, you know, perform this art, mm. um, which, I mean, factors into the soundtrack, really, and the different artists and the different... Um, it's that whole real era of 2002 just... <sighs> If you think about it really, like, in the broader context of things, it's a real time where the, that sound is being displaced and, you know, put in the hands of people who, you know, didn't really birth that yeah, totally. music. But, I mean, like, <laughs> that's all music. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a conversation for another time, I yeah. think. But um, 
on that, just to follow up on the uh, Biggie Smalls documentary, it's called Unsolved on Netflix. Great. Um, and then there's also, there was a documentary that I was watching that was about Dr. Dre selling beats to Apple that's also on Netflix and comes up. Right. I don't remember what that one's called and we don't have time yeah, to so go into it. But if, it's you're, just... if you're a big fan of rap, check that out. What Maybe a, yeah. watch 8 Mile. Go watch Straight Outta Compton because if there was one yeah. that I could back it's that in, one. in recent years, that, yeah. that would have been one. Um, I think talking while we're on the topic of NWA, the soundtrack of this is classic rap though. Yeah. Um, all the you know songs they freestyle over and everything it is just classic rap. And I think, as I said about School of Rock, um, it might not be how you saw it when you watched 8 Mile, but I think it provides some really fantastic gateway songs for fans wanting to explore classic rap more. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, everyone knows, as I said about Singing in the Rain before, like everyone knows Wu-Tang, everyone knows Notorious B.I.G., but if you haven't explored the discography, um, you haven't really, you know, scratched the surface in that way. Um, so I think that's important. I think on that note, we should play some Notorious B.I.G., Mm. Um, hypnotize instead of lose yourself just yes, because yeah. hypnotize is an absolute banger it became a meme in recent time as well with the whole thug life meme that everyone loves and cherishes there was also is, is the other one there's multiple variations yeah, of yeah. that meme is one of them a Snoop Dogg song the um yes yeah, hang on I can't never mind I'll, <laughs> I'll google it google is my best friend tonight because my brain isn't working we're gonna chuck that on the playlist as well I reckon Yes. Um, later on yes. for you, which you should check out. Um, but that's all the time we have with you today for OST Original Soundtrack. We've been Paul and Aaron. We've had a really lovely time with you talking about musicals and music. Please make sure you check out all our socials at OST Sin. And if you're listening on podcasts, also make sure you check out our playlists, which we'll, we'll, we will post on OST Sin every week. Thanks for carrying me tonight, Paul. I'll Absolutely be back no worries. hotter than ever next week when we talk about... Horror. horror. Yes, horror. Ooh. Ooh, spooky. Because it's Halloween week here at the moment, so we're going to give you a belated Halloween. So if you're one of those people that love drinking pumpkin spice lattes every month of the year, you'll be happy to have a Halloween And listening in to November. your favourite horror scores is yes. also something you should add. <laughs> uh, but we'll leave you with Hypnotize by Notorious B.I.G. You've been listening to original soundtrack OST on Sin Nation with Aaron and Paul. Catch you next week. Hey, what up with this whole East Coast, West Coast thing, dog? Word. You gotta put the mole on the map. Yeah, talk about the three one three. Man, nobody even knows the point is three one three. Three one three. The fuck you talking about, fat ass? You from eight one zero? Man, we just gotta make our own sound. Fuck everybody else. Yeah, then we get us a deal. Go platinum. Want more from OST? Check us out on Facebook at OST Original Soundtrack.